Hi, everybody. Welcome back to The Undiscovered You, a podcast for people who feel like they have so much more to offer, but are somehow stuck. I'm your host, Kimberly Johnston, and this season, we'll be speaking all about playing the hand you're dealt. I am so excited to be joined by Penny Hunt today. Penny Hunt is an award-winning and best-selling author. She is an internationally renowned speaker. She's a member of Word Weavers International. She was recently asked to participate in the Amazon pilot for Vela episodes. She was the author of Bounce, Don't Break. She is also featured in tons of children's magazines, and she is just an incredible person, not to mention spent most of her life as a Navy wife. So Penny, I'm so excited to have you here today. Oh, Kimberly, thank you. And I am so excited to be with you. I really appreciate the opportunity to share with you and others uh, some of the things that I've learned along this journey of life. I I think this is a wonderful thing that you're doing. And I hope that what uh, we share today will be of benefit to lots of other people. I'm sure it will be. So let's just take a step back in time. Uh, you are a young woman growing up in the U.S. Tell us a bit about that and tell us a bit about your ambitions at that time, kind of what you wanted to do, what you wanted to be when you grow up and how you ended up being married to a naval officer. Ah, oh, well, that is quite a journey. Uh, I grew up, well, I started life in uh, Williamsburg, Virginia, and then uh, my parents moved north uh, to Long Island And uh, that's where I grew up. Then at age 18, um, I, of course, graduated from high school and headed off to college with uh, dreams of becoming a teacher. I met a young man there and fell in love and and ended up getting married instead of graduating, um, standing in front of the fireplace in my grandmother's living room with the shadow of a shotgun over the fireplace. It was just a happening. And so life took a different direction than I imagined it would. uh, And that marriage did not end well. However, during the time that I was married to that young man, uh, we had two beautiful children. And uh, alone with those two children, literally one day, um, we had reconciled, I'd hoped that we could kind of get over that bump and uh, go on with life. Of course, things would never be the same, but they certainly could continue. Unfortunately, uh, that did not work out either. Snow with two small children and nowhere to go. And when that happened, that was for me, um, without a doubt, the the biggest uh, transitional period in my life. Um, I got through that and I'll tell you more about that later, but I got through that and um, I had a dancing school uh, that was doing very well. I was teaching little children ballet, tap and acrobatics. And through that dancing school and one of my students, I met uh, Lieutenant Commander William B. Hunt. And we fell in love and were married in Newport, Rhode Island and the adventures began. So it sounds like you had a lot going on in your life from the time that you went off to university until you met um, this man who is, who is now still your husband, is that correct? 
Oh yes, after we now have uh, almost 45 years under our belt. Amazing. And, you know, one of the things that might resonate with quite a few of our listeners is the fact that, you know, you've gone through a divorce and you've gone through um, the deterioration of a marriage and you had two kids in tow while you were doing this. And so you had a lot of stress that was in your life at the time. And when you were going through that, was it something, was there something in you that kind of helped you to push forward? Um, How did you get through that incredibly difficult time what did you what did you kind of draw from there were there were two things Kimberly um the first without my even really recognizing it was my faith um I had been I had been raised in a Christian home and that had uh, kind of been pushed to the side uh while I was going through all of these uh, transitions but uh when I was really really at the bottom uh that's when I began to look up again and, uh, and then the other thing was that um, I had a friendship that I had developed with um, another woman who uh, was there for me. And so I would say the two things that really helped me the most at that time were my faith and the connections that I had with other women. Amazing. And, and in the middle of all this, it sounds like you started your own business. So you started a dancing school. Well, yes, um, I, there, were, there were two things that I knew how to do. Um, I was absolutely destitute. I was I was living on uh, in the in the United States here, what we call welfare. I was getting um, support, uh, financial support from the government, and getting food stamps. And uh, for six months, boy, was I glad for that help because I had to get my feet back underneath me again. But there were two things that I knew how to do. I knew how to type and I knew how to tap dance. And I knew that um, there was a need for a little dancing school in the town at that time. And a friend of mine, another woman said, hey, you know, they're hiring people at the Naval Underwater Systems Center. They need uh, people for the typing pool. And um, I thought I'd gag, but I took the test and I took the job and I worked in the typing pool. And I got a paycheck every week Mm. and I had benefits Mm. and little by little, I just got to the place where I was able to one day with great joy, be able to tell my, my counselor that I no longer needed that support and help from the government. And uh, we celebrated and uh, I just stood on my own two feet. And then I went to the small business administration. And at the time they were giving out loans for small businesses I got a small business loan and my dad, who was a contractor, uh, said, let's go. I'm going to build you your own dancing school. No more rented spaces. And and I had my architectural plans in hand and was off uh, to to do this wonderful dancing school that I knew was going to be my support. And in the meantime, of course, I had developed a lot of friendships with the parents who were bringing their children. And that's when I met Bill. And everything changed because the dancing school was never built. Oh, what a great story. (laughs) So you were in a place where you were teaching dancing in a rented accommodation. You were about to build this studio, essentially, and kind of realize potentially a big dream. But then your hand was dealt to you that someone entered your life that kind of took this in a different direction. So, so tell me a bit about how, how you and Bill met. Oh, well, how we met was very romantic. Um, we were uh, just living 
coincidentally, two blocks away from each other. And this mutual friend gave Bill my telephone number. And so he called me and told me that he was a friend of a friend and that he lived two blocks away and was going out for a run and wondered if it'd be all right if he came by and just said hello. Well, I said, no. I mean, hello, there's some strange guy on the telephone. I have no idea who he is. And, um, and he said, I'll be right over and hung up. And he came over. Well, I have to tell you, Kimberly, that before that, remember I told you that um, my faith had played a big role in, in how uh, my life really was, was going. And um, there was a night when um, my little boy had turned five, was getting ready to go to kindergarten. And um, I don't know if you do this in the UK, but here in the US, we have this big long list of things we have to go out and buy. So we went out, we got all of these things and uh, I piled them up on the kitchen table and uh, there was a great big light that hung over them. And I was walking by them in the evening and I looked down on them and it just hit me like a ton of bricks. I, I was not only a single parent, but I was the mother of a school age child and I was a single parent. And so um, that night, I just knelt down next to my bed and uh, did something I hadn't done for a very long time. I started to pray. Well, that prayer just turned into a sob session. I mean, mm. I just poured my heart out and cried and cried and just said, oh, please, God, help me. And the one thing that I remember specifically asking was, please send me someone to love who will love me back mm. and help me raise my children. And I got in bed and uh, cried myself to sleep, got up in the morning. And of course, nothing had changed. <laughs> were no earthquakes, no angelic appearances or anything. There wasn't a man suddenly in the bed and, next uh, to you. <laughs> no, that didn't happen. <laughs> it didn't happen. <laughs> it was a man suddenly at the door, completely unexpected. I'll be right over. And there he was. And Kimberly, I'm not exaggerating. When I opened the door and there he was in his tennis whites. Oh gosh, he was so handsome. Mm -hmm. And um, I opened the door. There he was. I knew in that moment that that was the man I had prayed for. And sure enough, he was. What an incredible story. And so you said that you guys just dated for ages and ages and dragged this out for years and years until you got married. Is that right? Wrong. <laughs> we met in September. And we're married in June. Amazing. And uh, the reason we were married in June was because of orders. You know, in the military, you get orders. You have to go from place to place. Mm. Well, at the time, Bill was attending the War College in Newport, Rhode Island. And so we dated, but he was going to school and I was still working, teaching all my classes. And uh, we just saw each other as often as we could. But then um, he proposed and I, I said, yes, but the way he proposed was absolutely amazing too. Uh, we were at a, um, a lecture at the war college that he took me to, I Romantic. go with him to those, and we're driving home and we stopped at a stoplight and I asked him what the roses in the car were for. And he said, well, I, I got those today because I wanted to ask you if you would be my wife. And we're at a stoplight. And I just, I was like, I was flabbergasted. I didn't say anything. I just kind of pulled in and we drove on and he drove up in front of my house and he said, well, are you going to say anything? And I said, yes, yes, yes. And, and then he took me to the door, dropped me off and went home. 
Okay. And that's how we were engaged. I mean, it was, it was like, he didn't even come in after we were, you know, after he proposed. So I called my girlfriend and I said, Oh, Bertie, he just proposed. Well, what'd you say? I said, yes, I think he really means it. And so, cause there was no ring. There was no ring. And the reason there was no ring is another story for another time. But um, sure enough, he meant it. Uh, there was very quickly out in the back of my yard, a station wagon, because we were going to be going cross country to and then to uh, to California and then on to Hawaii. That's the first place he took me after we were married. Wow. So you didn't have an engagement ring, but you did get a station wagon. Yes. You know, <laughs> different things for different folks. Yeah. And that I works. eventually did get a ring. <laughs> Love it. So you guys, you're, you're now at a place where you're kind of looking at your life and your life, you know, at this time you, you had a bit of a, a little breakdown in terms of being a single woman um, with these school age kids. Um, you, you turned back to a faith that you, you hadn't really tapped into for a while. It sounds like. And you're sent this man and very quickly this snowballs into something very different from what you were expecting. So again, we talk about playing the hand you're dealt. So you've been dealt this card where it is, you're kind of, I mean, if you look at it, you had this option of building this dance studio or moving to Hawaii with somebody who you feel has been sent into your life for you to love, for them to love you back and to help you raise your kids. So, I mean, it kind of sounds like a, a silly question, but how did you make that decision? Oh, Kimberly, um, I guess, I guess that, I guess you have to say that, that love always wins, you know, it really does when, when you know that it's the right person for you and you love them, you're willing to do anything to be with them. And, uh, and I was, I was willing to pack it up and leave Newport and my, my dancing school there. And uh, one of the things that, um, that, that Bill had told me during the time that we were getting ready to be married was that. Uh, when we when we would be living in Hawaii, that they have this thing called welfare and rec, and then I might be able to go and talk to them and maybe teach dancing in Hawaii for military kids. So that kind of gave me a little hope for the future. And uh, and but I'll tell you, when we cross the Newport Bridge, and we're headed out, we're heading down south, going to take all of the kids to uh, to Disney World before we took that trek across country. I, I started to cry. I, mm. I just, it really hit me that I'm leaving my whole life and all of my dreams, my personal dreams behind. And I now am joined with someone else who has a different future for me. And that future at the time was completely unknown. And that, that, um, that unknown and that, that, that just feeling of not really sure what was gonna happen. I wasn't a military wife. I didn't grow up in a military family just kind of kind of cascaded and it really hit me. And I, I got down to Disney World and we went through that ride that it's a small world after all. Mm -hmm. They have all those little dolls and they have the cute little costumes. That, well, that's like a recital. I mean, it's just darling. <laughs> and so we're going through there. I started to cry. I had left all my little costumes and all my little dancers behind. And, and I just cried all the way through Disney World. And then I cried all the way to, I think, Alabama. And that's when Bill had had it. Yeah. And uh, he took me out into the parking lot and he put his hands on my shoulders and he looked me in the eyes and he said, listen, if you're this miserable, 
if this is not what you want, maybe you should go back. And that was a real moment of decision for me mm. because I knew standing there looking at that man, I really had to make that choice. You know, it's one thing to be in love and to have all the romance. And he was a handsome naval officer and we were in Newport and it was just very exciting and get married and pack it all up and take the kids and all. And then all of a sudden the reality, the real reality of it all hit me. And in that moment, I made that decision. Yes, I want to go back. And you want to go back? I wanted to go back. I wanted to go I wanted to go back to oh. all of that. I told him that. I said, yes, I want to go back. I want to go back to when we were dating and everything was fun and we were mm. having a wonderful time. And I didn't feel all this pressure to be something I'm not and all this unknown in front of me. And we just really talked it out in the parking lot. Wow. And then I said, of course, I want to go with you. And that's where we, that's what we did. But we did, I had that moment where I said, yeah, I do. I do want to go back, but I want to go back with you. I just, mm -hmm. I want to go back and have it be the way it was. I don't, don't want to face all this unknown. It's mm -hmm. hard. It's not an easy thing to do. Facing the unknown is never easy. No, it's not. And, and, you know, it's really interesting because a lot of our listeners are at a place of transition in their lives and they're looking into that unknown, that scary, scary unknown. And you have this sense of security in where you are, regardless of how bad it is, regardless of what it looks like, regardless of whether you're limiting yourself or your possibilities, you look around and you're comfortable and you're comfortable because you know it and it's familiar, but actually just stepping out and taking that leap of faith and recognizing that you might cry all the way to Disney world in the process and past all the way to Alabama. But, you know, you need to recognize that at some point you've got to take the leap and just let go because it sounds like you were still kind of holding on with one hand, you know, not fully letting go and then recognizing, actually, I have to let go in order to move forward. That's exactly right, Kimberly. And uh, what you say about, you know, you're looking around, uh, you're looking around at the unknown, but the other thing that um, I found to be very helpful to me was to not only look around, but look back for just a little bit and not with the longing and the regret and all of those kinds of feelings that looking back can conjure, but instead looking back with thankfulness for all I had learned, all I had endured, all I had grown and gone through. And I, I summarize that whole feeling of looking back by saying, I learned how to keep the lessons and let go of the pain. I really like that. So keep the lessons, but let go of the pain. As you look back. And then, um, you know, when, when I was, you know, in that terrible state with, uh, didn't know what I was going to do next, looking around for me at that time was looking around for where I'm, I'm going to find a, a, a friend to help me. And, um, and then after I finally started getting my job and everything else, looking around going, well, what, what can I do? What can I do here? You know, there are, awful lot of women from my age group who uh, grew up with the idea that you get married and your husband takes the reins and you are his you know helper and you're his wife but he does all the bills he does all the financials he does all of the stuff with insurance he takes care of keeping the car registered and all those kinds of things and then all of a sudden they end up alone for whatever reason they're sometimes widowed, sometimes divorced, whatever the situation might be. And they look around and they go, I don't know how to do any of this. I do not know how to do any of this. 
and they have to learn, you know, it's on the job learning is what it is. But uh, one of the things that I discovered very quickly is that there are a lot of resources out there. There are a lot of people who are willing to help you. You are not alone. And I think that's the biggie. Look around and remember, you are not alone. You're not the first person to go through anything that you can imagine. And not only you're not the only person that's ever gone through it, but there are other people who have gone through it, come out on the other side, and they're willing to help you with everything that they've learned. And, and you know, we have, uh, we have government resources that are available. I told you, I reached out to, uh, to the government for help with, you know, housing and food and, and all of that. And it isn't that you have to stay there either. It can be for a season, but look around and see what you have available take advantage of that and use it for a season and then look around again and see what you can do and keep going and keep growing. I love that. And, you know, in the digital age as well, we have different areas, different platforms that you can find people that are in similar situations. So if you're going through grief or loss or divorce, you know, there, there are people to speak to and there are counselors that are available, even if you can't afford them. On, on certain platforms. So, you know, I think absolutely looking around and, and, you know, friends for you seem to have played a decent, decent role in a lot of what you've done for your support. And I know you had to move a lot. So, you know, we'll, we'll come on to that. But one of the things I just want to point out is, you know, you had, you had someone in your life who was your support system, your champion um, when you were in Newport, and then you had your husband who became that support system and your champion. Um, and, and I think it's really important to, to have someone in your life that you can lean on someone that you can cry to someone you can be yourself around because that allows you to actually let go a bit. And it allows you to, to feel those real feelings. Cause sometimes I think we in work or around some friendship groups, or even in our families, we almost have this facade that we put up and you need to have those people you can just be real with where you can, you can just cry all the way to Alabama. Well, that, that is so true. And uh, for me, one, one of the days that I was, when I was just, you know, such a wreck, I mean, I was such a wreck over this divorce that I was going through. Um, I had a, a time when the old girlfriend of my ex-husband showed up and, oh, it was terrible. And, uh, and I went over and I, and I was talking to my friend and just crying and telling her all about it and everything. And she looked at me and she said, well, was there any blood? Mm. And I said, no, there wasn't any blood. And the reason that she asked me that was because we both had children about the same age. And when we would take them to the playground or they would be outside playing, if one of them fell down and came sobbing to you, you know, oh, I hurt my knee, I hurt my knee. We would look at it and we'd say, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. Oh, there's no blood. Thank goodness you'll be okay. Mm. And so she asked me, was there any blood? And mm. I think that helps to just kind of set the idea that with a friend to lean on, you've got somebody who can help you keep things in perspective too. Yeah. And, you know, I want to just step back a little bit. So you, you mentioned something about people of your generation kind of feeling that sort of, I'm a woman at home, my husband brings in, you know, brings home the butter, brings home the bacon. Um, and, you know, is the one that is, <laughs> is, is in charge of the insurance and the bills and all those sorts of things. I'm not sure that that is very dissimilar to the way a lot of people live today as well. So I think that will resonate with a lot of our, our listeners, because 
sometimes it is that you, you end up with these gender splits within your relationship where the man does certain things and the woman does others. I mean, you know, we always joke in our household that ours seem to be flipped because I'm constantly doing the DIY and George is putting the laundry on, you know, so it's, it's not, it's not a, an equation that necessarily <laughs> is going to work across the board. But, you know, if that's something that you are a, a, a person who's listening to this podcast and actually you don't know how the finances in your house work, I, I'm, I would challenge both men and women on this. If you don't know how the finances work, if you don't know, you know, who do you go to? Who's the, who's the regular plumber? Find those things out now, not because something's going to happen. Somebody's going to get hit by a bus or you're going to end up something, but you just never know. And having that information available to you gives you a sense of security that you might not otherwise have. So I think it's just a great top tip there, Penny. Thank you. So that is wanna, so important, Kimberly. You're right on. <laughs> so I want to I want to take a step forward now. So you guys move out to Hawaii, um, and you you start your life out there. You know you have these promises of potentially being able to do some dancing classes out there. Now, when we started this podcast, I introduced you and explained that you are award winning, best selling author. You're an international speaker. I didn't mention dance instructor in there anywhere. So how did you move from dance instructor to Navy wife to best-selling author to speaker. Wow. Okay. <clears throat> Again, um, a friend of a friend uh, said, uh, you know, what you need to do is look into aerobic dancing. I think you'd be very good at that. I went, uh-huh, a uh, what? I had no idea what it was. And Bill uh, said, yeah, um, they have classes at uh, the YMCA where they are uh, looking for these aerobic instructors and, you know, why don't you go down and see what it's all about? I did. They loved me. I was really good at it. I got hired. And then the military hired me. And a long story, you know, it's a very long story, but I'll make it very short. I ended up with 40 instructors that I was uh, teaching dance routines to. I was doing all the choreography and everything. I went back to uh, Dallas and got my aerobic certification with Dr. Kenneth Cooper. And uh, at the same time that uh, there were some other very famous people that were getting the same kind of certification. And, uh, and so I thought, oh, wow, on my way again, this mm. is going to be it. Well, not so much. What happened is that during the time that I was teaching all of these classes, I was attending a Bible study course that's very, uh, it's a very intense seven-year study. While I was doing this study, uh, it, one of the things that was being emphasized was taking what you do in everyday life and using it as an opportunity to share your faith with other people. Well, perfect. During the time that I was doing my aerobics classes, at the end of the session, I would dim the lights, everyone would lie down for just a few minutes, and I would play some very nice music for everyone to just have a moment of quiet meditation before they went out into the day. Ta-da! Share your faith right there in that spot. So that's what I started to do. I started to develop a theme that I would do for each one of the sessions. And then I wrote these little devotions that were just like a minute long, maybe maybe two minutes long. And I wrote those little devotions and everyone loved them and they wanted them in print. Oh, can you give me a copy of that? I love that, da, 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 da. And that started, it also got me fired. Oh no, oh no. Yep, got me fired. Um, 
this one lady uh, was very offended by my little devotions. And she went to the people at uh, Morale, Welfare and Rec and said, I signed up for an aerobics class, not for, these are her exact words, a Christian camp. Hmm. And so I was called into the office and I was asked to please cease and desist, to which I said, no. And they said, you're fired. Wow. And so once again, what do we do? Well, you look up, you look back, you look around. And I went to my pastor and he said, that was really stupid. You should not have done that. You are sharing your faith in the wrong way. I went, I know, but I thought it was such a good idea. And he said, okay, let's regroup here and see what we can do. And so we started uh, teaching the classes in the church. And to my utter amazement, utter amazement, all of the people, not all, but most of the people that had been attending my classes began coming over to the church to take the classes. And then from there, that whole thing developed into a Christian women's ministry that was taught in churches across the nation. And I was writing all the time and they got in touch with me from the 700 club and I was on TV for that. And then they got in touch with me to do a whole little thing called a fit kit that we were going to have for all of the Christian instructors. Cause I was finding that I couldn't, you know, keep up with doing all of these videos and tapes and everything to get out to all the instructors. So we were going to do it with just um, just a video in a package and you'd have one package for one theme and then another package for another theme and I would get them to you. And that was great. So I went to Nashville, Tennessee, and I did all of that and recorded that. Oh, it was wonderful. So exciting. And I was with Zonderman over there and we had this thing ready. And then Bill got a phone call for us to go to Paris, France. Mm. End, end of going to Nashville and doing the Fit Kids. So let's regroup and reinvent again. Okay, not a problem. So you wanted to know how my writing started. Now I'm in Paris, France, and they have a um, they have a newsletter. Of course, I'm teaching aerobics there. Mm -hmm. I'm teaching aerobics now because I look around, find out where I can find a place to teach, and I'm teaching in the atrium of the American embassy in Paris. How cool. exciting was that? Very cool. That was so much fun. And I started to write for the newsletter. I did a little, you know, fitness column in the newsletter. And then from there, I started seeing that I had opportunities to do other writing for other people. And I started out doing it all at, you know, no cost, just sharing what I knew, developing, writing. And then I went to my first writers conference. When we came back to the States, that was after we went from Hawaii back to, we went from Paris back to Hawaii, and then from Hawaii to the Pentagon in Washington, DC, and then from there to attache training and to Ecuador, and then from Ecuador back to the United States again, and I went to a writer's conference, and that is where it really took off, because that's where I met my agent, and that's where I met a publisher, and that's how I started writing. I love it. What I love about this is one of our, you know, one of our whole seasons is on transferable skills. We call it the skills that pay the bills. And I've found this 
just thread across your entire story. So, you know, you, you started out as a dancer with your dancing school, and then you were able to take that dancing and, and amalgamate that and become an aerobics instructor. And through the aerobics instructor, you discovered writing. I mean, I'm not sure anyone else has that story. There's probably, I think you are, that is a unique story to you, Penny. Who else discovered writing through aerobics? I think no one. So you discover writing through this and actually you find this passion um, through your faith, through your writing, through dance, and you're able to kind of build on that. And you find ways to actually invent yourself as a writer. So you, as I understand it, do you have a degree in English question? Um, no, I, I have an undergrad. I have one year of undergrad studies. Exactly. So it's not like you have to have a degree from a university. You don't have to have a master's. You don't have to have a PhD. What you do have to do is you have to have a passion. You have to have an audience and you have to have an ability to communicate with that audience. And that is what you have in spades. I mean, it comes through in this podcast just amazingly. So now we're in this place where you're doing writing. And I think we have public speaking is another one that, that you haven't quite touched on yet. But with this writing, what did you do with it? There's lots of people who say, I want to write a book or, you know, I want to write devotions or I want to write articles for magazines or I want to you know, be published in papers. So how did you go about making that leap into this world of writing? That all happened through my, my agent and, and through uh, knowing other writers who are speakers. Um, one of my dearest friends is um, on Sirius XM radio. She speaks now to tremendously large audiences. And uh, she said, you know, I think that these devotions that you're writing would be something that you could share with women's groups. And I said, well, yeah, but you know, right now I'm just writing them. I, I, I don't think I wanna do that. And she said, why don't you come with me and we will go to this um, National Speakers Association meeting up in North Carolina. And you can meet some people that are speakers that have taken what they've written and, uh, and, and are speaking now. So I went with her and I signed up and I was a member for a long time. Going up to North Carolina to the meetings, I learned so much about speaking. And, and then um, the, other, the other thing that happened was that I became involved with uh, Christian Women's Ministries. And they are a group of women who get together once a month all over the nation. And I would go out on, on a speaking tour and go from club to club to club uh, for their meetings and share how, um, what my life was like before I knew Christ, how I met Christ, and how my life was different after meeting Christ. And that evolved into the churches of those women having me come to be the speaker at their, oh, let's say their Christmas you know, party. And then that just grew and grew and grew. And, and now I speak at, at churches throughout the area for various groups. Uh, right now I'm doing a lot of work with uh, seniors, going to seniors and, uh, and talking to them for their, their joy club or their golden age club or whatever it might be called. And, uh, and that's, how, that's how the speaking begins. It's something that evolves. You write, you meet other writers. Those writers are speaking 
speaking, they say you'd be great at doing whatever that is. And again, you have to be willing to expand, to try something new and scary. You know how scary it was to stand up the first time in front of a group of strangers, not any, anybody who's going to go, oh, we love you and you're great and just blow some smoke up your skirt. You know, it's just like people that are real people and, and you have to, you have to have an opening and you have to have content and then you have to have a close and, and you need to make them laugh and make them, make them feel like they're valued and, and have what you have to say be important to them, that it's not about you, it's all about them and all of the things that go into speaking and to stand up there and do that for the first time, you talk about shaky knees, oh my goodness. And, and then little by little, you get over that and, and you, can, you can do it and you look forward to it and you really have something of value to share. It sounds like you, you're drawing from so many things that we talk about on the podcast. So you drew from your network, you learned more about the place you wanted to operate in. So we talk a lot to our listeners about if you want to move somewhere else, you want to move in a different direction. You want to start doing something completely different. You want to go into engineering, you know, you want to go into writing, you want to go into whatever that area is, start talking to people in that area, start reading articles about what's going on in that space, pick up a book, you know, have, listen to a Ted talk, listen to a podcast. Those are the types of things that people can do. You are doing all of that in terms of using your network, again, relying on a friend. And I would call that friend a mentor because it sounds like she was guiding you, giving you really good advice, kind of taking you under her wing and helping you to kind of take that next step as well. And, you know, on our marvelous mentors, we talked about how your friends can be your mentors. It's an unexpected thing when you recognize it, but take that time to actually acknowledge who in your life are your friends that are the people that push you beyond your boundaries. Who are your friends that come alongside you and encourage you? Who are your friends that challenge you in a way that allow you to actually get to that next step? Those are your mentors as well. And it sounds like you had a great one in this friend. I really did. And that's very true, Kimberly. Marvelous mentors, you know, women of power, uh, your, your, your power partners, the women in your circle of friends that are doing well, that you admire, that, that have so much to offer to you, you know, listen from them, listen and learn from them, you know, instead of, uh, instead of sitting back and, and daydreaming and saying, gosh, I wish I could be like her, or I'll never be like her, or, or saying all of those things that, that internal negativity that we seem to just be so very good at, if you can just, you know, silence that and instead look at, look at that person as your mentor, as a possible mentor, and don't be afraid to ask them if they will be willing to help you. People want to help people. You know, one of the things I like to say, one of the things that I really feel that um, is, is something that I've, I've discovered along the way is that um, we may not all be in the same boat we're all in the same pond and we all have experiences that we can share with each other if we're willing to if we're willing to as you said before open up be, be vulnerable be willing to talk about things be willing to listen oh listen 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 we need to listen a whole lot more to talk and uh, and together even though our lives may be very different and our circumstances may be very different we can get through it all together 
That's a fabulous piece of advice. And I feel like that may have been, I, I was going to ask you what your best piece of advice that you've ever received or heard was, but that was a pretty good one. Do you have something else that you would share with our, our listeners in terms of the best piece of advice you've ever heard or received? I think without a doubt, if I had to boil it all down and tell you or anyone else, um, what would be the thing that I would want to share? It would be their lyrics from a song, believe it or not. It's an old, old song. Um, but what it is, is to keep doing your best and trust God to take care of the rest. Keep doing your best and trust God to take care of the rest. And if you can do that in your life, if you can do your best with all the things we talked about, looking up, looking back, looking around, looking forward, having a plan, working your plan, and being flexible to let God take care of the rest, it's amazing what can happen. And you talk a lot about this in your book called Bounce Don't Break by Penny Lynn Hunt. Is that right? That's correct. Fabulous book for anybody that's going through transition, anybody that needs that kind of reminder about looking back, but not dwelling, looking up and looking forward. It is a fantastic book with some really great recipes in it. Random, randomly, really good recipes. <laughs> I love to cook. You know, you live in Paris for a couple of years. And if you don't learn to cook while you're there, you missed it. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Penny, it has been such a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Thank you for sharing not only just some insights into your life and the struggles that you've overcome, but also all the wonderful things that you've done with the talents that you've been given. Um, thank you for sharing with our listeners um, how you transitioned from one role to the next and how you played the hand you were dealt. Thanks for being on today, Penny. Thank you so much for having me, Kimberly. And if anyone would like to get in touch with me, they can uh, go to my website, which is just my name, pennylhunt.com. I'd love to hear from some of the people that are listening today and, uh, and see what they have to say about how they have uh, just done the best they can with the hand they've been dealt. This is a wonderful, wonderful podcast. Thank you so much, Kimberly. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode as much as I did. And the big reveal, that amazing woman, she's also my mom. <laughs> Join us next week when I speak to Elodie about playing the hand that she was dealt in some pretty amazing circumstances. You're not going to want to miss this one. Please do remember to subscribe or follow, like, and leave your comments below. And I hope that you're one step closer to discovering the undiscovered you. Mm -hmm.